of you came three days in a row to the outreach, but you did not receive a book from Scott Hinkle? All right, I want to give you two right here. Bless you guys, and bless you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Evangelism is God's plan to change the world. If you are not into evangelism, you're not on God's plan. Jesus made a plan, and we are to follow it. If we do not obey it, we are disobedient. Those who disobey God go to hell. Sometimes people ask me, what if I do not evangelize? Will I go to hell? That is between you and God as a will for sin or not. Do you not know the command of God? Then maybe God might be merciful. But can any command of God be willfully disobeyed and for that person still to inherit the kingdom of God? They cannot. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Evangelism is a command of God. It's his plan to change the world. Those who are not into the commands of God go to hell. It's that simple. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Matthew chapter 28, 18 and onward. Jesus said, go. Uh, that's Matthew 16, but I will, I'll read from Matthew 18. This was my fault. Look at what it says in Matthew 18, uh, 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everybody say, therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. Can a person disobey Jesus' commands and go to heaven? Yes or no? If Jesus said, go and make disciples, and a Christian does not go and make disciples, are they truly a Christ follower? No. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, to put the fear of God into anyone's life who willfully disobeys God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Obeying God is primary to our focus as a Christian. We are not saved by good works. We are saved by grace through faith. But we are then saved to do good works. I would like to have a reader up here. Juan, come up here and read scripture. I want to read through a bunch of them. Read Hebrews 10, 26 when you get there. Hand him a mic or grab a mic from up here. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Those who disobey God go where? If you, wish, if you willfully disobey a command of God, where do you go? Hell. Is a command of God to win souls and make disciples? That's right. Amen. Why is it that Jehovah Witnesses understand that, but most churches don't? Why is it yesterday on Saturday? I want to be very honest with you here. Why is it yesterday on Saturday I ran into six Jehovah Witnesses, but I didn't see one church member from a Bible church? If I gave you right now $10 for every Bible church you can find that you could walk to from here, how rich would you be? Come on, if I told you I'll give you $10 for every Bible church you can find walking from here. You don't have to get a scooter. You don't have to get a bike. You can walk there. And I will give you $10. Would you walk out of here happy today? You, I mean, after you did your exercise, you'd be happy. You would find a bunch of churches, wouldn't you? And yet there's only one Jehovah Witness church in this area. And there were six of them. 
We got church here. We got church there. We got church here. We got church there. We got church there. We got church here. We got two over there. We got three over there. Go with me to John chapter 14, verse 15. Today's a good day. I'm happy. We're going to rejoice in just a little bit, but I want you to understand how serious God's commands are. Following God's commands is the Christian's duty. Some people have thought because we are saved by grace through faith that there is no work to be done. I'm getting to that passage in just a little bit. Read it for me, please. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. That's it. If you see somebody saying they love Jesus, but they do not keep his commands, they are a liar. Go to 1 John, please. Go to 1 John. Chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. When the Bible teaches us to keep God's commands, he is not giving us suggestions. He is giving us the very concept of what it means to be a Christian. 1 John chapter 2. Go to uh, chapter 3 rather. Verse 7 and onward. John chap- 1 John chapter 3 verse 7 and onward. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. Here was the passage I was looking for, 1 John 2, 3. 1 John 2, 3. The commands of God are not burdensome. I'm going to read that in just a moment. 1 John 2, 3, please read it. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Read it for. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Five, please. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. The commands of God are not a burden. Anyone that tells you the commands of God are a burden are lying to you, and they themselves are going to hell. The commands of God are not a burden. When Jesus gave the commands, he gave them to be kept and to be enjoyed. The commands of God are freedom for the soul. Winning souls and making disciples is one of the greatest things I have ever done as a Christian in my entire life. Anyone who thinks they can disobey a command of God and be in right standing with God is a liar. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 and onward, please. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So where does it start? It starts with faith. When I first became a Christian, I was not concerned about whether or not I had the ability to keep a command of God. That was not my concern. My concern was, I'm commanded to do it. I better find out a way to do it. Are you all listening to me? I didn't come to God going, oh, these are all these commands. I don't know if I can do it. Please convince me I can do it, and then I'll do it. He said, jump. I said, how high? And if he said, jump over this building, I believed angels were going to pick me up. But how many know he didn't ask us to do one thing that we're not capable of doing? 
When I first became a Christian, winning souls was as natural to me as reading my Bible. Because I couldn't read my Bible without seeing soul winning. Everywhere I went, I saw Jesus winning souls. Everywhere I went, I saw Jesus preaching the gospel. Everywhere Jesus went, I saw disciples following behind him. And those disciples were learning from him how to win souls. Soul winning is not an option. Soul winning and disciple making is not something that you should take lightly. Hebrews chapter 13. I want this to sink into every one of your consciences. Because we will be doing continual outreach throughout the rest of the summer, the year, and year after year after year. And I do not want this to be based on hype. This is not based on hype. This is not because of some of the things that I'm going to compliment the team on. I want it to be as clear as it can be. We follow Jesus whether it goes good or not. We follow Jesus whether they like us or not. We follow Jesus whether or not people are nice to us or not. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. Where he goes, I follow. I run with the nameless and the faceless. I am not here to win a popularity contest from the backslidden Christians of my generation. I am not here for the approval of butthurt Christians that leave one-star reviews on churches. I am not here to try to appease a government that doesn't know their genders. I'm here to follow Jesus. I'm going to read one more scripture, then I'm going to tell you how proud I am of you. But I just want you to know it's not about being applauded by your pastor. It's not about making him happy or her happy. It's about what you do for Jesus. And if you don't hear those words and they don't stick and burn in your heart, there is nothing I can do for you because you do not fear God. Scott Hinkle said it so plainly yesterday. If you're following Jesus, you're fishing for souls. If you're not fishing for souls, you're not following Jesus. Jesus is a fisher of men's souls. Jesus left the 99 for the one. The moment you walked into this church, you were no longer the one. You're now the 99. Are you listening to me? The moment you walked into this church, you're no longer the 99. Uh, No longer the one. You're the 99. And that doesn't mean we won't care for you and love you and treat you special and disciple you and nurture you. But the moment you walked into this church, sir, ma'am, the moment you walked here, you are no longer that one. You are the 99. You know more than a sinner on their way to hell knows. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. Excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, start in verse 10. Uh, excuse me, verse 17, sorry, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep a watch over you as the one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Did I put that in your Bible this morning? Did I get up early and tell the Bible app to put that in there? It says trust your leaders. With brokenness in my heart, I'm sorry that many of you can't do that or couldn't do that because of where you've been or because of the past hurts that you've had. 
I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that some of you came here from other churches, not with butt hurt, but with true church hurt. And you couldn't find confidence in a leader. But I pray by God's grace you find confidence here. There is nothing I want from you other than your obedience to Jesus Christ. I started this church before you were here, before you gave your tithe. I don't want your tithe. God commanded you to give it, but I don't want it. It's not mine. My wife caught a bus to work at a bank so that I could go to school and then ride my bike to Belmont and Clark and go witness by myself for hours until I felt like I had did what would earn me the right to be called a pastor. Because if my wife was going to work so that I could be one, I was going to earn it. Every day. And I dreamed about a church like this. Would you put up the slide, please? I dreamed about a church like this. And I cannot tell you how proud I am of you. That you came out. And you won souls. And you preached. I saw many of you be mocked and ridiculed, but you kept preaching. You stood up for God in front of your peers and a wicked generation. You were not ashamed. I'm proud of you. I mean that. That's what I give my life for. And I'll do it again. Some of you wonder why Metro Praise started putting up pictures on Facebook for our promotion every Sunday. That was because there was a time that people asked us to take their pictures off of Facebook because they were afraid and ashamed of this church. And we did it for them. And we started a new Facebook page because we couldn't delete all of them. Take too long. And I was sitting in that office, and Joselito came to me. And he said, God put it in my heart to represent this church. I want to be an ambassador. And I said, brother, I got someone here that wants to take a picture of you. And they're going to put it up and say, come to church. And week after week, we've been asking various ones of you, can we take a picture of you and put it up on the website, the Facebook? I'm proud of you. I'm proud that we could call you to the streets and beckon you to come, and you came. And it wasn't just any old kind of outreach, though that would have probably brought tears to my eyes too. But it was the best. I want you to hear this in over 25 years of ministry, a quarter of a century. This was the best outreach that I've ever been a part of. By the glory of God. What you did out there for Jesus, what you did out there for Jesus, I believe will be talked about in heaven. I don't believe we're going to talk about who was greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James in heaven. I believe in heaven somebody's going to say, tell me the story again about how Juan grabbed a megaphone and started preaching against the sin of homosexuality with the testimony that he's been saved from homosexuality. They're going to say, tell me that story again. Play the movie back again, angels. I want to see that. I believe God is going to be saying, come, come, uh, come angels, 
come uh, people from different centuries. Let me pay, play you the video of Brother Byron right here who had just given his heart to the Lord on a Monday night evangelism last week and then came out there and preached with us every day. <laughs> Angels, play the story. The underground church in China hasn't seen it yet. Encourage them. You see, because when we get to heaven, we're going to tell the stories about how we overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives even unto death. And I thank God that this vision is now reaching around the world, that we have churches in Dallas and Miami, and each one of them now are going to come and present to you a call to evangelism so that you can see the world change. The first one coming up is Juan, Juan Sancho from Miami Metro Praise International. Give him that mic, please. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's give it up for our brother. Hallelujah. Evangelism can change the world. hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So I want to say thank you, Pastor Joe, for allowing me to speak. Uh, Daphne, evangelism is important, but I wanted to talk about how truth and spirit are important in our role in evangelism. And, you know, like in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approve a worker that does not need to be ashamed who handles the word of, of truth. So when we evangelize, we evangelize with the truth and spirit. And my first point is truth. And the truth is important because evangelism promotes, it, it, it brings the unanswered questions and objections that we don't get normally in our Bible study. For example, I remember a time about 12 years ago, I had a friend named Medulla who I had interactions with, with him uh, in Wright College. And then what happened was we had conversations about Jesus uh, and his faith. And that was important because I remember um, that allowed me to strengthen my faith to change the course, to seek the answers. And I remember giving him, Pastor, I remember talking to him about Pastor Joe's book, and Pastor Joe talked to him. And even though there was a brief conversation with him and Pastor Joe, he came to MPI, and he quickly professed Christ and came to his church for a, a time. But I want to encourage you guys that you may not always have the answer to answer every question, every deep answer. But when we evangelize, that stirs us on to seek the answers in the scriptures. But um, so, you know, I will take time to pray and read the word and search apologetics. And these answers, um, I never thought, you know, those are questions that I would never thought to answer. So it's important to evangelize because people have questions. And when people have questions, we as a church, we can search for those answers. That, I don't know, just like the Bereans who search the scriptures. 
The second point is evangelism causes the Holy Spirit to move. We're not just the church was birthed in Pentecost. And one of the things is, it's important, we strive to evangelize, but part of evangelism is also demonstrating the power of God. Because we're also to preach the word, preach the truth, but also demonstrate the truth. Just like in Mark 16, it says, they preached the word and the signs confirmed the word. So, as we pray for people and people get healed, as we give prophetic words, that there is a call to, to do that, to do that. And Acts 10, 44 says, everyone who listened to his message suddenly received the Holy Spirit. You're right here, 1044. Uh, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. So when you preach the word, it's not your words to save them. It's the Holy Spirit working in those words to save them. And, and just in closing, I just want to read Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you guys are witnesses to your communities, to your family, to the world. And remember that you're not coming there just with just words on the page. You're coming there with the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. So be encouraged to take the importance of evangelism to come in with the spirit and the word every time you come out there to preach and share the word of God. Amen. Amen. Jared. Before we have Jared speak, I would like to have Sancho and his family come up here, please. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for Miami. It's a beautiful place. But it's difficult to start a church there because there's a lot of religious people and they don't want to pay the price to serve the Lord as we would teach them through discipleship. They would rather go to the churches that keep kind of that South Beach feeling going on. There's a lot of hip churches around there that don't require anything from their members, including holiness. And so out of that religiosity... Our brother and sister, his wife, Michelle, are preaching the gospel in the face of religious opposition and a strong Catholic background from those who have come from various Latin American nations, as well as witchcraft from the islands when they intermingle the belief of Christianity with their native religion, Santeria, and so forth. So he has begun to start this church with his family, and now they are getting a few disciples but how many know a few disciples won't stay a few disciples? They'll begin to multiply. Amen. And so we want to pray for favor on our brother's life. He could have just moved there and started over and just did whatever he felt was comfortable. But he decided to use his Bible college education and start a church. That to me takes more courage than most of us could ever imagine. Because people leave this church all the time to move for good reasons, maybe for their job, maybe for their family. 
but they don't think to themselves, how can I start a church? They want me to try to find them a church that's like ours. And after some of them, literally three years later, they say, I haven't found one. I've given up. Now I'm just going to go to whatever one that will let me do something for Jesus there. But they took it upon themselves to say, that's not what I'm going to do. Instead of going to a big church where I can go there and hide, maybe be a part of a team, a volunteer, they said that they'll go and start making disciples that make disciples. And when I came to visit you in the rented church, I was very proud of you because I could see that the people that you had with you understood the scriptures as we're teaching them here, that even though it was a small number, those that were there were in the same spirit that we're in here in agreement to the things of God, that we keep the commands of the Lord, that we honor the Lord, we go after souls. When I had pulled up there, a man named Joe was sweeping the parking lot. I didn't know who he was, but he was a recent convert that had uh, been a part of their ministry, and he was already serving the Lord there. Amen? Let's pray for them. Father, we ask you right now to bless Miami, to pour out your spirit upon this wonderful church, O oh Lord. They've done all things in excellence. They've got the flyers, the banners, the website, the Facebook page. Lord, they set up and they tear down in excellence, O oh Lord. But now, Lord, we pray for you to do what only you can do beyond the uh, presentation of the natural, Lord. Now we pray in the Spirit for there to be an invasion of your power, the power of the gospel that saves men's souls. Oh God, we pray that the signs and wonders will follow them, that, Lord, people will get saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, that there will be healings and deliverance, oh God, and that it will be a testimony, oh Lord of what you've done in their lives. God, even now as I've heard a Juan speak, O oh Lord, with his speech in, in, impediment, O oh God, he doesn't let it stop him, O oh Lord. He reminds me of what they said about Paul, O oh God, that his speech wasn't great and impressive as the super apostles, but he didn't come with just talk because he said the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Father God, I pray that they see in him, God, not a great orator, oh, Father God, but they see in him one that is powerful in the Spirit, just like Moses, oh, God, just like Paul, oh, God, who you have used in times past. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for the education that he has gotten. We thank you for his wife. We thank you for the beautiful family you have given them. And now we pray for you to pour out your Spirit in a mighty way. Let them know they are loved and affirmed here in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you both. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Now for the prince of preachers, the one that has the gift of oratory. Would you stand up with me? Come on, Chicago. Would you stand up with me? And would you bless the Lord for the man? Come on, you could do better than that. You could do better than that. Thank you. Bless this man of God of faith and power for the hour. Brother Jared Walker of Metro Praise International Dallas. Hallelujah. Thank you, saints. That was precious. He'll remember that. Trust me. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk to you about the motivation for evangelism. There are two main reasons that Christians do not evangelize. It is for lack of instruction and lack of motivation. To put it another way, they don't understand how to evangelize, and they don't understand why they need to evangelize. And, and the, the, the why question is, is the saddest one of all, 
Because if you have your why, as, as with many things in life, if you have your why, if you have your motivation, the how will soon follow after that. If you really feel passionate about something, if you sense the importance of something, you'll figure it out, right? If something matters to you, you'll prioritize it, you'll learn it, you'll, you'll go after it, you'll pursue it. So if you're a brand new baby Christian and you don't know apologetics, you don't know any methods, but you understand you have a part to play in the Great Commission. You understand that multitudes all around you, every day, everywhere you go, are perishing, going to an eternal hell apart from Jesus Christ. They have the sin cancer, so to speak, and you have the cure, and you want to offer it to everybody. And you may not speak with eloquence. You may not say all the right things. You may even say some wrong things in error, but God will still use you. Amen? I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. I'd rather have a brand new baby Christian who can't keep their mouth shut about Jesus than some uh, frozen chosen theologian. Amen? Come on, somebody. So we need to have our how and our why. I want to talk about the why, our motivation, and it's twofold. The glory of God and the good of men's souls. The glory of God and the good of men's souls. This has been the rallying cry for missionaries and evangelists for centuries. And I want to talk about these two priorities. These need to be your priorities. These are God's priorities. You need to adapt them for yourself. This is God's heart. And if you do not have the desire or motivation to evangelize, it shows that you are lacking something of God's heart. You see. So let's start here with the glory of God. And by the way, these priorities reflect our vision, which is loving God and loving people. We love God by promoting and defending His glory among mankind. And we love people. It should be obvious how we love people because if you love someone, you want what is best for them. And what is better than eternal happiness in the presence of Jesus? And what would be more hateful, conversely, to know somebody is going toward eternal misery in a lake of fire and to do nothing to avert them. So this is how we love God and love people as a church and as Christians. We love God by promoting and defending His glory among mankind. We want to turn idolaters into worshipers. Those that have come to Lollapalooza in, in almost a ritual celebration of their, of their favorite musicians whom they idolize, their rituals of sex. You know, in the ancient world, sex was tied with idolatry and witchcraft, and it's very much the same today. Drug use tied with idolatry and witchcraft, very much the same today. We basically met a throng of idolaters going to their idolatrous festival. That was their ecclesia this weekend. And we want to be like Paul. When Paul went to the city of Athens, it says he was greatly disturbed at the idols that he found among the people. And our hearts should burn that these idolaters become worshipers of the true and living God. Because they have exchanged the glory of God for mere created things. Things their hands have made, as he says in Romans chapter 1. And when it says that all have 
fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you look at it in context, it's not that people are trying so hard to keep God's commands and coming up short, but it's people basically not valuing the glory of God, saying the glory of God is something I don't want. I want my plan, I want my goals, I want my dreams, I want what this world has to offer. I don't need this God at all and I don't value His glory. And that is an insult. So we love God by promoting and defending His glory among mankind. Let me not be so long-winded. Here's a few reasons why. Number one, God is God and we are not. Evangelism must be God-centered and not man-centered. It's not merely about creaturely happiness. God loves people. We'll get to that in a moment. But first and foremost, God is creator. God is king. God is lawgiver. God is judge. Jesus is the Lord of glory, and he is worthy of the reward of his suffering. Amen? And so we do it because Jesus is worthy. And out of that... We understand that our pity for man has its limitations. I heard your testimonies. You had so much compassion for these people. I had somewhat of a different experience. I had half-naked, drug-addled adults acting like babies, shrieking, I love abortion, and flipping off my children for holding an abortion sign. I don't know about you, but I... That's, it doesn't come natural to me to love a person like that. If I wasn't saved and you were treating my child like that, I might want to fight you. You know what I'm saying? You don't have what it takes to love ungrateful, undeserving sinners until you have served the God who gave his son for a world of ungrateful and undeserving sinners. Your motivation for evangelism is not a mere human endeavor. It's not just your compassion like when you see the dogs in the commercials with the sad eyes and they're in the shelters. You ever see that? Or, or, or you see the, you know, for, for people overseas, like that's human compassion. It has its limitations. It has its limitations. And anybody who's been on the mission field, anyone who's done ministry for any length of time will tell you, you can't have a romanticized version where I'm just going to fall in love with the people of Africa. I'm just going to fall in love with the inner city. I'm just going to fall in love with the Muslims. Sister Tisa, she did her ministry and she fell in love with the orphans of Africa. But she'll tell you they were always getting their stuff stolen. <laughs> and she'll tell you they were... Having conversations, her, her husband, Gene, I, re, I recall him saying two men were having a conversation about their daughter saying how much they could get for her if they sold her. Are y'all listening? It ain't all warm and fuzzies when you're in the real world with real sinners. So we must have the glory of God as our motivation because if we do it for man, we'll always be let down. But if we do it for God, he'll never fail us. I want to read this passage here. There's many passages that I could read about God and his promotion and priority of his glory. Look at Romans 11.33, though. Romans 11.33 is Paul's doxology. Doxology means a word of praise. He takes a praise break in the middle of Romans, and here's what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And everybody said amen. Come on. We do it for his glory. And then we do it for the good of men's souls. And as I had pointed out, this is wanting what is best for people to be with Jesus forever. Amen. You love your family. There's family members that you have. They know Jesus. There's family members you have that don't know Jesus. Your mom may not be a Christian. You still love your mom, right? And what do you want the most for your mom or your brother or your sister or your cousin? What do you want the most for them? That they just live a happy life? No. But that they know the Lord Jesus. Let me just say quickly that this is God's priority. This too is God's priority. If not, why did God send his son into the world to save sinners? Why did the son of man come to seek and save that which is lost if the salvation of sinners is not God's priority? There's many verses I could look at, but brother, if you could turn to Ezekiel 18 and verse 23, and uh, I'll read this passage in closing. Ezekiel 18 verse 23 says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Now, if you could actually skip down to verse 30. Later on in the thought, God speaks through the prophet. Therefore, you Israelites... I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all your offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel, people of Chicago, people of Lollapalooza? Why will you die? Why will you persist on this path of destruction? Why will you continue in these shameful acts that lead to your death and your damnation? Why? This is God's heart. This is God calling out, trying to help his people come to their senses. Verse 32. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So even when we cry out, sometimes it seems harsh because we're confronting sin. We're confronting false beliefs that people hold dearly. They've been raised their whole life. And sometimes we use strong burning language and we issue these strong warnings of the fiercest of punishment that awaits them. But it's out of the heart of God. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather desires that they repent and live. So this is what we do, people. And this is why we do it. For the glory of God and the good of men's souls. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to now call up the Walker family, please. I want to pray for them. The church that the walkers have started by God's grace came out of the Riascos fleeing from Chicago, needing safety during the time of persecution. 
after they made their home there, they felt that the Lord called them there to start a church. And then there in that place of fleeing and being saved from persecution, because there were times the disciples would stay, and then there were times that they would leave and shake the dust off their feet. By staying there, they said, if we are here, we are going to start a church for the glory of God. But we are not able to pastor it. They said, Joe, would you send us a pastor? And we began to pray, and the walkers volunteered to go to Dallas to be pastors of that wonderful church. And because of that work that has been done, those like Brother Pendergrass, would you wave your hand, my brother, came to the Lord as a backslider, dedicated their life to Jesus, now married one of ours here from Chicago and has relocated here. And the gospel is going forth. And others who knew about us began to come and visit, and now the church is growing. The Vitalis, who had previously moved to Florida, felt called. They were one of the families I was mentioning before that went to a place to live but had no church and for years could not really find a place to serve. And so when they saw that Dallas opened up, they sold their home and moved to Dallas to be a part of the congregation where they now serve. These are the kind of miracles that God is doing. May we keep them in our prayers as they continue to rent facilities, as they continue to grow the ministry. Father, I thank you for the walkers, Brother Jared, Sister Susie, and their beautiful children represented here by Jeremiah. Lord, I pray that your hand of protection will be upon them and that your hand of blessing and prosperity would be with them as well. As they preach the gospel all throughout Dallas and Fort Worth, may the name of Jesus be lifted high above every false religion, everything that uh, comes against the name of Jesus. May those even from backslidden churches or the lukewarm in the Bible belt come out of their hiding and rally around the cry for the gospel to be preached to this location. May disciples be made, O oh God. May commandment keepers raise up, O oh Lord. May the power of the Holy Spirit come forth with signs and wonders. May there be, O oh God, the book of Acts being lived out through this precious family. O oh Lord, may that which you call blessed be blessed among those in that land. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's bless the Lord for the walkers. We love you, brother and sister. In the last few moments that we have, I want you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Evangelist Adam Field will be preaching in the second service. If you would like to stay, you're more than welcome. Just make sure we make room for those coming in that service. Evangelism is God's plan to change the world. We rejoice in those who came out. We rejoice that the church is filling up. We rejoice in the favor of the Lord that is upon us. But we must see that this is just the beginning. This is not the end. Because what if God asks us to lay down our lives for the gospel? What if we have to literally become martyrs, not just suffer American persecution, which is being yelled at, ridiculed, and possibly loss of job and family? That is true in America. We may suffer that way. But what if we are called to give our very lives? What if there are guns that are pulled upon us? What if there are people who want to take us behind the back alleys and beat us until we can breathe no more? 
What will we do in the face of opposition that says, we will let you go if you renounce your faith? What will you then say, brother or sister? I pray that the words of the martyr Polycarp, who was the disciple of John the Apostle, will be that which will come out of your mouth and your lips. Polycarp said when he was given the choice to renounce Jesus and live or to keep Jesus and die, this saint said, 86 years have I served him and he has never done me any harm. How now can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I am a Christian. That is the call of disciples. It is a call to come and die. My favorite missionary that I follow, Dick Durbin, has come up with the mission uh, movement, Live to Die. Live to die. We carry our cross as a reminder that we're living to die. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let them what? Deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. We live to die. The famous song, I have decided to follow Jesus, though none may follow, I still will follow, was by a man living in India who had to renounce his family ties to Hinduism and begin to wander the streets and the villages homeless until he had provision. He sang that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's where that song comes from. When we look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this was how he taught us. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. Jesus replied to him, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus did not bribe us with the American dream. I'm thankful for American prosperity. I'm thankful for the air conditioning. How many remember a few years ago when it didn't work and we had to have those big warehouse fans in here? I'm thankful that I got to drive a car here today and I didn't have to walk 30 miles through the snow or through the heat. But I know that my Jesus would ask me to do it if there was no cars. He would ask me to walk the church. And if there was no air conditioning, he would still want me in church. So often we think to ourselves, what can Christianity give me? I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Jesus, what do you give me in return? It's like we're watching Pawn Stars. Jesus, I'll give you my life, but I want a happy marriage, my children, and a beautiful house and retirement on the side. God, if you don't want to do it, I don't want to serve you. We come to Jesus bartering with him. And this man said the same kind of thing. Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. And Jesus made it very plain. This will cost you something. Tonight, you follow me, you will not sleep on a bed. You don't follow me, you still keep your bed. But if you follow Jesus, you'll have more than just a bed. You'll have eternal life. You'll have joy in your soul. You'll have pleasures at the right hand of the Father. You'll have a kingdom that's everlasting. You'll have power that this world cannot stop. You will have a sound mind. Hallelujah. You will have the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you. And you won't just have haters and frenemies. You'll have brothers and sisters. What an honor it would have been. I would have said, deal. Yes, Jesus, sounds like a good deal. 
I follow you, but suffer along the way and win for eternity, I'll take that. Listen, it's not that people really are just pleasure seekers, as C.S. Lewis said. It's really that they're stupid, ignorant pleasure seekers. Listen, it's not that they at um, Lollapalooza really love pleasure more than you do. No, they are ignoramuses. They are fools. They are stupid pleasure seekers because their pleasure ends. C.S. Lewis said if they woke up and became wise, they would seek the greatest pleasure. Have you given up on pleasure? No, you've given up on the pleasures of the world for what? The pleasures of heaven. You're better. You get more pleasure. Listen to me. C.S. Lewis said that it's not that they love pleasure and you love sucking on lemons. And that's what Christianity is. No, you have chosen the greatest pleasure. You have chosen the greatest pleasure. Some of you don't know this. Your Christianity sucks and you need to repent. But I have the greatest pleasure in the treasure of Christ. I'm being honest with you. If Christianity was what some of you have, I wouldn't want it, and I wouldn't have given up my drugs. The Christianity that some of you have is bogus. It's bunk. The Christianity that I have is that cush. It's that good stuff. That's the pleasure that I get from Jesus. I get high off the most high. When I came to Jesus off of drugs, I didn't look like some of y'all. I got so high I had to pray up all night. I partied till I couldn't party anymore. I got so hooked on Jesus, I said, what a fool I was that I wasted my time and attention on plants. I have the creator of the universe living on the inside of me. So listen, my friends, this man who said to to, to, Jesus said to this man to give up his bed, he was not just asking him to be tortured for torture's sake, to be a sadist, to find pleasure in pain. No, he was saying that I have a greater pleasure than what a bed can give you. There are beds right now that cost more than most of your home's rent in my home. I saw the bedroom of Shaquille O'Neal, and I said, dear Lord, that's a house. Have you ever seen the bedroom of some of these movie stars? This bed that Shaquille O'Neal had, I think he said it was custom made. It was $100,000. Don't quote me on it, but every now and then I watched MTV Cribs. <laughs> his bed in his bedroom was more than my house. And yet he's a sinner with a soul that is lost without God. It's not that Jesus is saying, follow me and I will cause you to suffer and you'll have no pleasure. What God is saying is in this world you may suffer, but you will have pleasure in your soul, glory beyond your comprehension. And in the age to come, rewards and pleasures that you have no idea because no eye has seen nor ear has heard. People say, well, I can't wait to fish up there. I'll I'll be so high on Jesus, I won't even need to fish. Well, what will we do up there? You will be so enamored in the presence of God, you won't even know what time it is. Sometimes people say, well, oh, Grandma's up there. She wishes she could be here now. If Grandma's in heaven, no, she doesn't. 
No, she doesn't. She doesn't care about your wedding, your graduation, or your firstborn child. And Huela is so high on Jesus. She's saying, glory adios, glory adios, glory adios. She is so focused on the things of God. The things of this world are dim. That's why we don't need to waste the time of the saints praying to them. They're looking at the one we're praying to. And Mary's going, oh, he's God. It stopped talking to me. I'm busy worshiping him. She's looking at the eyes of the creator. And she knows that she knows that she knows that one's got it all under control. He don't need my help. He hears every prayer. He has the power to do all that you're asking. The next one comes up to Jesus Or rather, Jesus said to him, verse 59, follow me, follow me. And the man says back to him, let me go to the trap house and recop on crack because I got to double up. Is that what the man said? Let me go over here to Vegas and make some memories and then I'll start serving you, Jesus. Is that what he says? Does he say, well, well, first let me go to Lollapalooza, sow some of my wild oats and then I'll follow you, Jesus. No, he said something noble of that time. Funerals, you know, they're a big deal now. They were even a bigger deal back then because who's taking care of what now? There's no Social Security. There's no Medicaid. There's no, you know, know, let's get a check. Let's get the food stamps or whatever. I mean, dad dies. If I don't provide for mom, mom dies. Everybody get that. Don't think back then, oh, it, it was easy for these people to give up stuff for Jesus. No, it wasn't. It was even harder than most of us could imagine. He said back to Jesus, Lord, he honors him. He said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Come on, Jesus. I mean, you got to at least appreciate that. I mean, you just told me to come follow you. I mean, the way I picture this is they were in a group. Jesus had been preaching, maybe one of these times feeding the 5,000, and Jesus could tell that someone was really paying attention, that someone was getting it, like I can tell when, I, when I'm preaching up here. And then I can imagine Jesus saying to that man, well, come on, let's go now. i got to go to the next town. I just can't stay here. And I can now imagine a good man. Somebody say a good man. A good man that had been listening to the sermon. A good man that, that really loved Jesus. A good man says to him, An honest response that would have worked in 99.99% of the situations. Let me first go bury my father. My father's right there. Dad, would you raise your hand? Serving the Lord over almost 50 years. Give it up for the Wairoshics in the house today. Come on. 76 years old. Came out all three nights. Some of you in your 50s and 60s couldn't make it. Ask my dad what what he takes. Ask him what the secret is. I'm not upset at some of you. I know you gave your best in your 50s and 60s, but you need to ask him what keeps him ticking. 76. 76. Did you hear what I said? Came out all three nights. Came out all three nights. Ask him what he's taking. Don't make excuses. My 50-year-old and my 60-year-old. Scott Hinkle was here at 71. Looked like a broke-down car. I had to come and help him up. I said, brother, we got to pray for you. I'm teasing him, but he looked like a broke-down car. Had to hook him up. He said, I can't come out. My legs can't take it. 76 years old, still preaching the gospel. Pray for Scott, by the way. I'm just teasing him. Lord, help me. What am I going to look like at 71? Somebody's going to remember that joke. Pastor, you look like a broke-down car. What's wrong with you? 
No, but he did, man. I'm being honest with Put the fear of God in me. What am I going to be like at 71? I won't be like my dad at 76. Now, that may not be his fault. He may not be able to help it, but I'm just saying, 76, preach the gospel three nights in a row. This man said, I have to go bury my father. I couldn't imagine my dad dying. And someone telling me, put something before your dad's funeral. I would say, I got to take care of this. I got to put my mom in a nursing home now. I got to go take care of this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my mom always teases. I better go. She says, she says I better go first because I know you all put me in a nursing home. Your dad's the only one who takes care of me because you're not. No, that's not true, mama. We're going to put you in the house of six. Other than the family of six children. We're going to have a whale all the time. Everybody hold me to that. Amen. Put her in the basement down there. No, I'm kidding. I have a kid. He said, let me go bury my father. He said, let me go bury my father. I want you to hear what Jesus said to him. And I want this to put the fear of God in every one of you who didn't come with every one of your stupid excuses. Some of you couldn't come because you couldn't come. I understand that, but some of you had stupid excuses. Jesus said, let the dead go bury the dead. Let those in Walmart go take care of Walmart. Let those on your job go take care of those on the job. You come preach. Now, some of you know you couldn't do that. I understand. But I'm asking you, would you? Because listen to me. I got good, hardworking men in this church. I got men that put the fear of God in me and how hard they work, and then they can put a tithe in this offering bucket. And when I wake up in the morning, I want to make them proud. Because I know how hard they work. And I know women, you work hard too. Some of you get up. Sun's not even up. You get your kids ready. You go and drop them off somewhere, pay a lot of money for it. And then you go work eight, ten hours. You don't see them. And then you and the husband come home late. I hear these stories. Tell me, you tell me all the time, listen to me. My heart goes out to you. And I take serious working for the Lord. But I want everyone to hear me. Plumbers go to hell without Jesus. Construction workers go to hell without Jesus. Do you understand that? Business owners go to hell without Jesus. CEOs go to hell without Jesus. If you put it in your heart today, my job is the dog and I am the tail, that dog will wag you all the way to the mark of the beast. Are you saying, Pastor, you're going to pay my bills? No, but I know somebody who does. And if you need to come move in my backyard and build another property on there, we'll talk to the Neighborhood Association, figure it out. But we'll start building a homestead out there, amen? And then they'll really call us a cult. <laughs> but I want every engineer to hear me. I want every construction worker to hear me. I want every CEO, every manager, everybody in customer service to hear me. Jesus said to a man, if you don't put me first, you will be dead spiritually like they are. So please, I beg you with all seriousness, I beg you to make sure you know when God calls you, not only in this church, but with the other ministries that God has called you to do and the things he's put before you to do, that when he calls you, you are honest with that calling. And you take that calling as serious as you possibly can. Because it's not that we have to, as someone once said, it's that we get to. 
It's that we get to. We get to prioritize the Lord. Now, I believe God had what was in best intention for that man. There could have been scenarios that that man was not thinking about. Maybe if he would have said, I cannot come, maybe an uncle would have rose up because I'm assuming he was the one in charge of that thing, probably the firstborn son. I'm assuming that when that would have happened, Jesus would have made a way that he was not yet seeing. Maybe when he would have went back to the family and said, I can't do the funeral, an uncle would have stepped up and said, I just sold a property. I got enough money to do it. I'll take care of your mom. I'll take care of my sister. You go and preach. But you see, he had to trust God at the moment of his test. The test is a test because you don't have yet the answers. You don't yet have the grade. You have to go through the test. That's why it's a test. When I show up to a test, I don't know the answers yet because I don't even know the questions. But if I came prepared, then I'll know the questions, and then I should have the right answers. If he knew Jesus was the answer, then whatever was going to come next, that answer was going to plug in and to fill in the blanks. Jesus was going to be the answer, even though he didn't know it all at that time. But if he were to trust God in that test, he would have had a testimony. Amen? And then lastly, in closing, Daryl, would you come, please? Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Think about that. Think about that. You want to talk about being responsible. I'm a responsible man. My, my wife can track my phone. She's not jealous and she's not insecure, but she can track my phone. Can I hear an amen from some healthy, healthy marriages in this place? She knows my whereabouts. I go wakeboarding two to three times a week. I could be having an affair. I could be lying. I could be going somewhere to hire a prostitute or get a massage with a happy ending. Now imagine me going on a trip without telling her goodbye. Imagine me taking off with Adam right now. God told me, Joe, get on a plane with me. Let's go. And I say back to him, well, let me go tell my family. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We think that was different for them. They didn't even have a phone. At least while I'm in the plane or on the way there, I could text. Where's dad? I don't know. I haven't heard from him. Last time I heard from dad, dad went to go hear a preacher preach out in the wilderness. Did you see? Did you see him out there? Well, I saw him, but... I saw him talking to the, to the teacher. And then I saw a crowd leaving with the teacher. He might have been in that crowd. What do you think that did that day in that family's life? Where's dad? Where's my husband? Hey, man, 7 o'clock, we're starting work. Where's Mike? Mike's supposed to prep, prep what we got to do today. Where's Mike? Now, don't, none of you sinners use this as an example to be a bozo on your job. Are you listening? This is only for saints. This, as somebody said, this is only for saints. This is not for ain'ts. This is not for sinners. Well, don't you worry about where I'm at. I'm serving Jesus while they're going to the bar, getting drunk, not showing up on the fire, that person. 
Are you listening? This is not for sinners. This is for saints. Somebody say saints. He said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There are things that God has asked me to walk away from that I can go back to, like a family. And then there are other things that he's told me to walk away from and never look back. I believe eventually that man got to speak to his family if he would have came with Jesus. I believe Jesus would have probably have said the obvious to the man, you don't go back, but tell somebody else who is going back to tell them where you went. Instead of him reacting on all of those fears, all he needed to do was trust Jesus. Jesus could have been just taking, as he did oftentimes, just a one-day trip to go right back where he was at. It could have just been all of one day. But he was freaking out if he didn't want to trust God. He could have been back by that time tomorrow. You see, so many of us make excuses, but do we really trust God? Well, I couldn't, Pastor, because of this, this, and the reason. Well, did you, did you try? Did you go and ask him? Did you see if you could call up three or four people to take your spot? Some of you said you were tired. Did you try prepping before you got out here? Walk around your neighborhood a few hours every day, a few weeks in advance, get ready? What? You, you didn't think you should do that? You thought you would get out there, your obese self, and then your feet wouldn't hurt? Can I be honest with you? I've been obese and I've had my feet hurt. It, it hurt when I was 300 pounds doing street ministry. Did you put in any prep work? Did you talk to your, di your doctor about your diabetes, if you could bring a snack with you? Did you talk to the people in your life to see if they could babysit the kids? Or did you just take an easy way out? Every one of us is going to face the Jesus who talks like that. But I can only imagine what it was like for those men who followed Jesus that day and those women. What do you think it was like as they left where they had only known and walked out into the unknown? Anybody seen Lord of the Rings? When they leave the, uh, the Shire, they step out, and then one guy there, he stops and he goes, I just need to take a moment in. I need to take a Samwise. He stops and he goes, oh, I just need to take a moment in. And Frodo asked him, what are you doing? What are you doing? We need to get going. And he said, this is the furthest I've ever been from the Shire. I wonder what it was like for those men and women of God to start walking with Jesus and seeing things they've never seen before. I wonder what it was like to start experiencing the miracle power of God because they were willing to step out in faith and begin to trust the Lord. I wonder what kind of stories these people had when they came back. I can just imagine some of them coming back saying, kids, kids, come around. Let me tell you where dad's been. I got to tell you these things. I was there when Jesus spoke to a grave. A man had been in it for many days, and I saw Jesus speak to this man, and he came out walking. I think his name was Lazarus. I've never seen anything like that, son. Son, you got to make sure you tell all your friends that there's a man named Jesus that raises the dead. 
I wonder what it would have been like for those sisters to say, man, I saw a woman who was a prostitute have demons cast out of her, her take her most precious gift, break it before Jesus worth thousands of dollars and wash Jesus' feet with her hair. I've never seen worship like that in all the temple of Jerusalem. I wonder what it would have been like to hear the stories of tax collectors getting saved. Oh, you know these tax collectors, these mafia figures that we hate. I saw one of them get saved. I saw another man, you know, he had on his three-piece, thousand-dollar suit, his alligator skin shoes. I watched another man climb up a sycamore tree dressed like that just to be able to see Jesus. And then we went to his house and had something to eat. And you know this man got saved because he started giving back the money that he stole. I've never seen anything like that before. That person that Juan was talking about, I believe, was the man that walked up to the speaker. Get Juan for me, please. I want to make sure that I'm telling the same story because there were so many good stories out there this week. But you'll miss it if you don't take a walk with Jesus. You've already been to funerals, but you've never seen someone raised from the dead. Take a walk with Jesus. You've already hung out with your family before, but you've never seen prostitutes join the family of God before. Take a walk with Jesus. Was it the man that came up to me? And then I said, I can't pray with you because I'm watching the, the people speak. That was the man that had the music deal and all of that. Thank you, sir. I was standing at a speaker just to make sure our brothers and sisters were being taken care of because oftentimes when I get out there, even though I know many of you, I'm your peers and I'm only old enough to be some of your older brother, maybe an uncle. Some I'm getting to the point where some of you, I could be your parent, you know. But when I get out there and, and I see how many people were out there, I get a little protective. So I made sure that I stood next to the speaker for everybody that day. Just as the Lord told me to stay there, brother. I was just there and I just wanted to make sure on my watch, everybody is safe. And a man just walked up to me, and he said, I need prayer. Do you have any idea what that feels like? That if I wasn't standing there that day, I would never have met a man say, I need prayer. If they wouldn't have been preaching, that wouldn't have got his attention. Man, I felt when I was standing there, I felt like I was one of the apostles. You want prayer? Praise God, we'll pray for you right now. What an amazing story I get to tell. I've seen drug addicts set free in a moment on the streets. I, I was out there the first night and there was a woman who got a flyer because there were so many people handing out flyers that she got one and she just stopped and then looked around like this. Can somebody help me with this? I've never even seen that. She just took it and then looked at it and then as she was walking she was like, oh yeah, I want this. Well, yeah, It's almost like she just got a coupon. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy it. Where's it at? I'll get it. 30% off. I'll take it. She said, how do I do this? What must I do to be saved? So I went over and spoke with her. And out of her own mouth, she said, I'm a backslider. And the Lord's been dealing with me. And at that moment, I said, oh, you're a church person. You already got the lingo. I said, God brought you here for this. She said, yes. I'm a backslider. That's the words that came out of her mouth. And I need to get saved. I need to get right. I've been praying that somebody would come to me. I've been reaching out to the church. That's what she told me. And they haven't been getting back to me. I haven't had anybody to pray deliverance for me. 
And I said, I got somebody right now for you, Griselda. Come on over. And you would have thought you were having a Pentecostal service right there. Tears coming down her eyes. Tears coming down Griselda's eyes. Shouts of joy coming from her. Saved and delivered right there on the streets. Those stories I'll take with me to heaven because they're the most precious stories of my life. Would you decide today to follow Jesus? Can you stand up and give him a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Father, we thank you that we don't have to, but we get to, to preach the gospel, to obey the Great Commission. Lord, you could have sent angels to do the job. Lord, you could have just had anybody else do it. The preachers do it, or the priests, but you called all of us to do it. What an honor, what an honor. What an honor that people who make empanadas for a living can lead someone to the Lord on the streets. Thank you, Lord, that a stay-at-home mom can bring deliverance to those who are backslidden. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Before we go here, if you don't know Jesus, would you repent of your sins now and say something along the lines of, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross, rose again. We're buried. You are Lord. Save me and change me right now.